Our text this morning is in Acts chapter 4 and at verse 33. Acts 4 and verse 33. And with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. I really want to try to speak about what the resurrection of Christ means for the Christian. And the first thing to remind you of is that the resurrection of Christ is at the very forefront of the Christian message. The Apostle Paul says he delivered, first of all, how that Christ died for our sins, according to the scripture, and he rose again the third day, according to the scripture. First of all, it's at the very front of the Christian message. And the book of Acts is a book full of statements and narratives which demonstrate the risen presence of Christ. Here in chapter 4, at this verse, we've got the tenth statement within these four chapters of Acts, the tenth statement of our Lord's risen presence. And they go on running through the book. I reminded you briefly of what had been happening previous day in Jerusalem, three o'clock in the afternoon, we're told, here's this man lying at the gate, one of the gates of the temple, as he normally did, more than 40 years of age, never walked in his life, crippled from birth. And Peter and John coming to that gate and meeting with him delivered a command in the name, in the power of Christ. This man to rise up and walk. He leapt up, jumped, praising God. And this caused commotion. And the apostles began to preach and they preached it was not by our power that this was done. But the, the prince of life himself is here. God, having raised up his son Jesus, has sent him to bless you. That's what they preached. Christ, in grace and power, was present. And that this man's healing was but one indication of that reality. Well, then the temple authorities come and the... the uh, Disciples are arrested, as we, as we read, questioned. Through chapter 4. And when that threatening is finished, we read that they went to their own company, to the other Christians, and they met for prayer. And they prayed, and as they prayed, God met with them again. And we read in chapter 4 at verse uh, 31, when they had prayed, the place wherein they were met was shaken. There was a real sense of God's presence and power. And they were given, they were filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke the word of God with boldness. Now, somebody looking at the, these verses quickly might suppose there's some kind of contradiction in the, in the words because it says... Um, there in verse uh, 31, that they spoke the word of God. 
That was their subject, the word of God. But in verse 33 it says, they witnessed, that's what they were talking about, the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. It's as though there are two different things, but of course you understand that this is the same message. The word of God is full of the truth that Christ is risen. And so when they were preaching the risen Christ, they were preaching the word of God. The two things are one. And the scriptures tell us that the resurrection of Christ is of such vital importance for the Christian that without it, we don't have any message at all. We are of all men, says Paul, the most miserable. If Christ be not risen, you are yet in your sins. The resurrection of Christ is so central and fundamental that supposing this truth were taken out of sight, then the whole Christian message falls to the ground. And that being so, one cannot help, as we think about it, wonder, does this message really have the first place that Paul says it should have? Died for our sins, rose again. That's the message. In our daily lives, does the resurrection of Christ really make a meaningful change in what we do? Is the church at large a body of people who people identify as those that believe that Jesus Christ is raised from the dead and is in their midst? That's what we believe. This is what the disciples were here preaching. Now then, as we look at this, I want us to think of it in, uh, under four headings. I want us to think that the advance of the church, the progress of the church, is dependent on the resurrection of Christ. The advance of the church in the world is wholly dependent on the resurrection of Christ. Secondly, we learn here and elsewhere in the New Testament how that the, the comfort of the individual Christian is dependent on the resurrection of Christ. And then we read here in this passage too that the unity of the church, the oneness of the people of God is dependent on the truth of our Lord's resurrection. And fourthly, the fulfillment of all the promises of God. That is dependent on the resurrection of Christ. Now these and other truths are before us in this passage. Let us take up the first one. The advance of the church is dependent upon the presence of the risen Christ. Now think of it like this. Before our Lord died in his farewell discourse to, the, to his disciples he, and in other parts of the Gospels, he indicated to them that this gospel of the kingdom is to be preached in all the world for a witness. He taught them that this kingdom of God that will begin like a little grain of mustard seed is going to become a great tree that will fill the earth. That's what he saw them. But he also told them that he was now 
to suffer and to be cut off and to die. He would suffer many things, he said, and be rejected of this generation. And the disciples then thought, how is such a thing conceivable that this message is going to spread through all the world and Christ is going to die? To be buried in the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea. They thought that they would not see him again in this world. And then it was an impossibility in their view how such promises could be fulfilled. And the Apostle John tells us in the last chapter of his Gospels, this they thought this way because they knew not the scripture that he should rise again from the dead. They didn't know that the death of Christ was preparatory to his resurrection in power and that these promises which he had made were to be fulfilled by himself. The success of the church, the advance of the church, would all be because of what Christ himself would do. They should have known it. The Old Testament scriptures taught this in a wonderful way. We read in the Old Testament scriptures, as in Psalm 22, description of our Lord's crucifixion, parted my garments among them, cast lots upon my vesture, description of our Lord's suffering on Calvary. The Messiah is going to die. But then that Psalm 22 goes on to say, the Messiah speaking, I will declare thy name unto my brethren. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn unto the Lord. This is after Messiah's death. Just the same in Isaiah 53. When thou shalt make make his soul an offering for sin. When Christ is going to be the sin bearer and be condemned for us. Then he shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days. Pleasure of the Lord will prosper in his hand. Or one other reference in Psalm 72. He shall live. Men shall be blessed in him. And all nations shall call him blessed. The Old Testament scriptures again and again were teaching this truth. Certainly the Messiah is to die. But he is going to live. And through his living the ends of the earth will be blessed. And that is what our Lord of course himself taught in his own ministry when he told them that uh, he was about to suffer they forgot the one word he said first he must suffer first in other words that's only the beginning leading to something else and that is his own resurrection and power so the truth is All the progress of the church, every conversion, every answered prayer, all that we enjoy this day is all coming through and from and by the risen Lord Jesus Christ. That's what he meant when he said, because I live, you will live also. Church is advancing through Christ alone. Let me just give you one... um, reference to that 
There's a very striking statement in Ephesians chapter 4 when Paul is speaking to the Christians at Ephesus and he's telling them what they had heard and he says, well, you heard this and you believed this if, if you have so learned Christ, if you've learned Christ, if so be that you have heard him and been taught by him. Now, what is Paul saying? He's talking about Gentile city of Ephesus, far away from Jerusalem. The Lord Jesus Christ had never, never stepped in Asia Minor in his days upon earth. But here Paul is saying that in Ephesus, these people had heard him and met him. And what happened in Ephesus? Well, amazing things happened. Remember one of the things we're told that as in our own day, alas, in uh, Ephesus, there were great piles of pornography. You could buy them anywhere or almost get them free. They were so common. And some of them were beautifully printed and on costly books. And uh, when the Church of God was raised up, people that had this literature, they brought it all together, the expensive books and the cheap books, and they were worth, Paul, Luke tells us, 50,000 pieces of silver, and they made a bonfire of them all. What's happened? People's natures have been changed. New desires, new lives. And it was because they had met with Christ. Every conversion happens because we meet, an individual meets with the risen Christ. The hour is coming, Jesus said, when the dead will hear his voice. Hear his voice. And those that hear shall live. That's why we need most urgently to pray for our preachers and our ministers. The word of man alone doesn't succeed. They are but messengers, but they are messengers of one who has almighty power. The connection in this passage between prayer and the giving of the Holy Spirit is so clear. And as the Spirit of Christ and power comes upon the church, then the Lord Jesus is manifestly, evidently present. I like the story, I may have told you it before, it's perfectly true. It's about a Methodist preacher, oh, 150 years ago maybe. His name was Thomas Cook. He was an itinerant evangelist. It was greatly used of God, not only in Britain, but Australia and other places. And one weekend, he was visiting this Methodist church, and uh, the household were in excitement about his coming to preach. And the, the servant girl, it's Victorian times, servant girl was sent out on Saturday morning to the butcher's shop, and given instructions for the meat she was to buy for the household that weekend. Now this servant girl wasn't a Christian. And when she got to the butcher's, in buying and so on and talking to the butcher, she told him, what a fuss there is in our house uh, this weekend, she said. We've got a preacher coming. You'd think it was Jesus Christ that was coming, she said to the butcher. Oh, said the, the butcher, he smiled, he said, and he gave her a meat. Well, the servant girl went back on Tuesday for some more meat, and the butcher remembered the little bit of pleasantry, and he said, well, but did he come, she said. 
He came, she said. He came. The Lord Jesus had come. Her life had been changed. Something wonderful had happened. That's the gospel. John Knox has a beautiful description of what preaching is like. He says it's like the disciples when they were given the bread from the hands of Christ and they had to distribute it to 5,000. But how could they do it? Well, he said, by God's blessing, it multiplied and the whole people were filled. That's what Christ does. first lesson of our passage here is that the church advances by the presence, the living presence of Christ. So in the early centuries of the Christian church, we'd read that on the first day of the week as believers met one another, met one another it was common to say, uh, by way of greeting, the Lord is risen. And the response was, he is risen indeed. Now, it's not just a matter of saying the words, but to know that, to believe that, that's what the church needs. That's the message we've got. With great power gave the apostles witness of the Lord Jesus. Now, secondly, the comfort of the individual Christian depends upon the resurrection of Christ. And why is that? Well, for two great reasons. The first is, the resurrection of Christ is the witness to the Christian that my sins are forgiven. Because, as scripture says, he was delivered for our offenses. He was raised again for our justification. Now, that means this. When Christ was delivered to die, that was not for himself, not for any sins. He was a sinless son of God. He was delivered to death for our offenses. How do we know that those offenses are now forgiven? Raised again for our justification. Christ's resurrection was the Father's seal upon the reality of what Christ has accomplished. Our sin, our guilt has been pardoned. Christ is risen. So our comfort as believers does not depend on what we do today or tomorrow. No, it depends on what Christ has done. Christ is risen. That means there is no condemnation for every poor believer who trusts in him. So our comfort is dependent on his resurrection. And another reason why it's dependent on his resurrection. If I go away, Jesus said, I will come unto you. The world will see me no more, but ye see me, for I shall be in you and with you, he says. And the disciples said, St. John 14, uh, how is it that uh, you'll be with us and the world won't see you anymore? If you're here, the world would see you. Now our Lord explains that this is going to be the result of his resurrection and ascension. Remember he told the disciples his going away was not to reduce their benefit, but to increase it. He is going to the Father to be enthroned. And as the Son of God to send forth his Spirit into all the world and to dwell with his people. 
to be in them and to walk in them. We don't need temples to find God today. We find where the presence of Christ is and we come to him in penitence and faith and he comes to dwell with us. That's a Christian message. Marvelous message, isn't it? Only the world knew it. To have God with us, Christ with us. And that's, that's a Christian's comfort in life and in death. Put a Christian into all kinds of trials and Christians don't escape trials and burdens, loneliness sometimes, ill health, disappointments, persecution sometimes, all manner of things. But you know, Scripture says, he that is in you is greater than he that is in the world. The Christian has a divine support and comfort and help. And that's the promised presence of Christ. There's a wonderful picture at the end of the book of Acts when the Apostle Paul is in Rome, a prisoner, a solitary prisoner in a powerful empire. And uh, this is actually to Timothy. Near the end of his days, he's called to appear in one of these Roman courts, probably in a great basilica or something like that. He has to stand there as an individual, a lonely man, and the whole authority of the Roman Empire is against him. And Paul says, as he stood there, no man stood with me, but the Lord stood by me and strengthened me that by me the preaching might be fully known. So Paul was not simply on his defense as a prisoner, he was witnessing. And he wasn't the only one who was witnessing. He said, the Lord stood by me, and he was speaking. That's Christianity. That's how the gospel spread. The comfort of believers, their individual comfort, my friends, it is dependent on the risen Lord Jesus. The devil would try to make us forget that. Try to make us to think, well, it's dependent on I must do this or I must not do that. Or, my friends, it's all based on the truth that Christ is an almighty saviour who saves to the uttermost. Thirdly then, the unity of the church is dependent upon the resurrection of Christ. Now read this passage over again and note how this is underlined. Here they are, they're threatened, they're persecuted, they went to their own. There's something that made these people cling together. Uh, we read in verse 32, the multitude of those that believed, chapter 4, 32, the multitude of those that believed were of one heart and one soul. Neither said any of them nought of the things which he possessed was his own. Here we are, by nature, self-seeking, interested First of all, in number one. And here are the people who are so joined together in love and in peace that they are literally one family. And that's what the gospel does. And it does that because, as Paul says, you are all one in Christ Jesus. Being united to Christ, we're united to each other. Same life is in us both, in us all. Same forgiveness, same hope. Doesn't matter what our color is, doesn't matter which century we live in, which nation we belong to, if we are in Christ Jesus, we have been made one. We're one spirit, one body. And that comes 
from the resurrection of Christ. You know, divisions among Christians are very dishonoring things. And it's greatly to the dishonor of God that in our nation at the present time there are still numbers who profess to be Christians and hold what they think are Christian services. And the name of Christ is not honored. His resurrection power is not manifest because the world and the church are mixed up. And God has his own ways of dealing with that. And one of those ways is sometimes by sending real persecution. Because when it begins to be costly to confess Christ, how many will stand? Well, we don't know until that time comes. But what we know from history is that the numbers are thinned out. And those that do stand are wonderfully brought together because they have a common experience. They have a common knowledge of Christ. That's what happened in the Reformation and in those periods. They didn't all stand together because they belonged to the same denomination. They didn't say, well, I'm a Presbyterian, I'm a Baptist, and therefore I'm a... No, they stood together because they had an inward life that was the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. The unity of the church depends upon the resurrection of Christ. And it may well be that days will come when God will sift the churches in our country more and more. And in that sifting, there will be a drawing together of those that stand on the real foundation. Now then, fourthly and lastly, the resurrection of Christ How shall I put it? The fulfillment of all the promises that are in Christ are dependent on his resurrection. Now the Bible is a book of promises. They begin right back in Genesis chapter 3 verse 15. And they go further back than that. In Titus, Titus Paul says, God who cannot lie promised eternal life before the world began. He promised it before the world began. To whom did he promise it? He promised it to his son that the fulfillment of Christ's work would bring eternal life to a multitude that no man could number. And all the promises in scripture that begin to unfold in the book of Genesis, in Abraham and in his seed, all the nations of the earth be blessed, his seed, his offspring, the person of our Lord Jesus Christ. person of Christ is the one in whom all these promises are to be fulfilled. Paul says, promises of God are yea and amen in Christ Jesus. He guarantees them. He's the one who is going to see that they are fulfilled. Wonderful truth. So one of the promises that our Lord refers to as all that the Father give me, gives me shall come to me. He that cometh to me I'll no wise cast out. And he's going to be responsible for us until the very day of our appearing in glory. Not one will be lost, he says. Promises of God are certain, yea and amen, because they are in the risen Christ. He will fulfill them. Every promise every promise what a difference that makes our friends 
what was it, one of the early missionaries to the Far East who somebody said to him, you don't think, do you, that you're going to make some impression on China? You a solitary missionary going out there? And uh, the answer, no, but God will, God will. We think of someone like William Tyndale in a country where people not only didn't have the Bible in their own language, but they were persecuted if they did have even part of it in their own language. And here's a man who believed that if this book could be circulated, God would bring blessing by it. And everything seemed to show the opposite. Those who had the book suffered. And he himself was finally burnt to death in 1536, you remember. But in, his, in Tyndale's writings, he says things like this. He's talking about <coughs> Joseph going down to Egypt. And in Egypt, uh, Joseph is uh, imprisoned, falsely, accused, imprisoned. And Tyndale says, as he went down into prison, the promises of God went with him. And uh, he's going to come out of that dungeon because the promises of God have determined it. And he, so, so he goes on. Uh, but then he's applying that to himself. Tyndale, too, he went into prison, into death. But he's not going to finish there. God is the living God. and God's word is alive and powerful. And it's going to bring blessing to a nation. And that's what happened in the mercy of God. So, my friends, these are four points for us to remember. Progress of the church depends on the resurrection of Christ. We must plan, we must think, we must deliberate, but fundamentally we know all depends upon him. Without me, he says, you can do nothing. Secondly, our individual comfort depends on the resurrection of Christ. And thirdly, the unity of the church. If the devil was given his way, he would break up every church. He has all kinds of devices to cause division amongst believers. Oh yes, but we have a great high priest who intercedes. Thy faith will not fail, Jesus said to Peter. And so the unity of the church, people of God is preserved. And finally, Christ is the one who guarantees the promises of God. Promises are not in the first place made to you and me. They are made to Christ. And he is the one through whom they are fulfilled. And as we belong to Christ, we have a great inheritance, exceeding great and precious promises. So may God bless his word to us, young and old. Shall we pray? Where did that come from? Shall we pray? Our gracious God and Father, we thank thee for thy word. We thank thee that it brings life and peace to us through thine own blessing and aid. Lord, how weak we are, how helpless without thine aid. And we thank thee that thou art at present and at hand to bless thy believing people through every day of our earthly pilgrimage. We commit our ways to thee. Go before us, Lord, we pray, into this coming week. We know not what a day will bring forth. Help us to be strong in thee and in the power of thy might. And bless thy church and the witness of thy church this day. Lord, we pray for days of quickening and reviving to the honour and praise of thy name. We ask through Jesus Christ, our Lord.
Amen.